Hello, my name is Deborah Sidaway, and welcome to my podcast series, The Story of Divorce, a series exploring the stories of the bigamists, the bastards, the feminists, and the fornicators who helped shape the law of divorce in England as it exists today. So to get started, as you might have guessed from the title, this is going to be a podcast series about divorce. More specifically, it is going to be a podcast series about divorce in England and how we went from a non-divorcing society where divorce was not just frowned upon but near impossible to achieve to a society finally about to embrace the concept of the no-fault divorce. It may seem a strange subject to explore within a podcast, but divorce is an issue that will, at some point or another, impact on your life or the lives of your friends and family. As was remarked in Edith Wharton's novel, The House of Mirth, someone said the other day that there was a divorce and a case of appendicitis in every family one knows. To misquote a song, divorce is all around us. Divorce is something that happened to me. It is how I became interested in the topic, the hows, the whys, and as I delved into the historical archives, the utter disbelief that came with some of the shenanigans that I read about, all leading to the slow and gradual acceptance of divorce within society. I know you are all thinking about Henry VIII and that iconic chant of divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived. And I will get to Henry VIII, but first, I want to give you some background. When I went to see my divorce solicitor for the first time, I remember sitting in her office, wondering what she would ask me, almost entirely clueless as to what we would need to do to bring an end to my marriage. What was the procedure? What if my husband wanted to fight it? Did we both have to agree to the divorce? Did we need some sort of pronouncement that ended my marriage, similar to the one that had pronounced my husband and I man and wife? I just didn't know. I don't remember being that befuddled when I was planning the wedding. Getting married seemed somehow so much simpler. And yet, I was a solicitor. How could I know so little about how to legally terminate the festering sore that my marriage had become? It all seemed so ridiculous. All I knew of divorce is what I could recall from my family law seminars back in law school and my one foray into the family courts as a law student whereupon I vowed I would never, ever practice family law. Far too much conflict, unfairness and human misery to deal with on a daily basis. I became a corporate lawyer. And that was that. I didn't have to think about the legal issues about divorce. You see, I never thought I I would end up divorced. It was never in my life plan. To me, being divorced suggested failure that I had done something wrong that contributed to the downfall of my marriage, or that I had not done enough to keep the fragmenting pieces of my relationship with my husband together. I am not a person who likes to fail. It has taken me a long time to realise that divorce is not failure. It is freedom. I married my ex-husband on a glorious autumnal day in September 2009, after we had already been a couple for close to a decade and had two children together. It was an almost picture-perfect day, even if the organist forgot to show up and the drummer for the Cayley Band for our evening reception was missing in action. 
Luckily for us, one of our talented wedding guests was able to step in and play the organ for our chosen hymns and also step in for the absent drummer. We had the most amazing day. The photos from my wedding day show me radiant with joy, the love for my ex-husband visible in my eyes. That day should have been the start of the rest of our lives together, and I was convinced that like my parents, we would stay the course and enjoy our years together as a happily married couple. I could not have been more wrong. I suppose the signs were all there, if I had but chosen to see them. It may have been my first trip up the church aisle to marry, but it was not my ex-husband's. In fact, I was his third wife, so my optimism could certainly be said to be misplaced. To be divorced once could be considered a misfortune. Perhaps he had married too young to know what he wanted out of life. To be divorced a second time was worrying, but by the time I filed for divorce, it was clear that my ex-husband's first two divorces were part of a destructive pattern of behaviour. He was incapable of fidelity, engaging in affair after affair. Still, even though he had broken my trust in him, I signed the papers to end my marriage with tears blurring my vision and a shaking hand. The legal process to divorce was yet another trauma on top of my husband's lies, the betrayals and the hurt that brought our lives together to an end. And even though I had been a practicing solicitor, family law, as I have already mentioned, was outside my area of expertise. I struggled to understand this bewildering and cumbersome process I had to go through to end a marriage that had long since become toxic. Decree Nisi? Decree Absolute? Why were there two stages to getting a divorce? Why were the requirements so particular? And why did I have to reveal the humiliation of my ex-husband's infidelity in my legal papers to end a marriage I no longer wanted to be in? Why did I have to explain my reasons for wanting to be divorced at all? I mean, no one had asked me to set out my reasons for why I wanted to be married. I asked my solicitor why the divorce process was what it was. Her answer, she simply didn't know. Yet because I needed to be out of the marriage, I left those questions to one side and began the slow and unwieldy legal process of ending my marriage a seemingly interminable administrative nightmare that I sometimes thought only existed to crush my soul, until I at long last received the decree absolute that freed me and pronounced me as being divorced from my husband. Divorced. That one word that says so much about shattered dreams and broken promises. Divorced. The box I now tick on all those forms that are so terribly keen to know your marital status. I have to confess that, at first I was ashamed of it. Like I said, for me, divorce represented failure. Yet, at some point in time, rather than seeing my divorce as something to try and hide, it became something that I was no longer diminished by. And being freed from my marriage, I was able to focus more and more on the things that mattered to me rather than placing the needs of my ex-husband as the centre of my world. And it was from this freedom that my interest in how we came to have the ability to end our marriages, to be divorced, as we understand that term today, came about. As a way of coping with the death of my relationship and my divorce, I started to do more and more things purely for myself. I began writing. 
Writing became part of my grieving process as I mourned the demise of my marriage. My love of reading, of books, has been a mainstay throughout my whole life, but writing was something that I had left behind when life got in the way. I had written an awful lot as a child and a teenager, but that had all come to a stop when I began my studies at university. I just didn't have the time to devote to writing. It seemed like an indulgence I could ill afford, given that I was studying full-time, while also working part-time to help with all the expenditure that came with being a student. With my writing, I began seeing stories all around me, and those stories were far preferable to my own. I could lose myself in the stories of others. Yet at the same time, the stories that entranced me most were those of silenced women, those that were voiceless, drifting like mere wisps of clouds in the background of male history. I was drawn to these women. Their stories sang to me because I too had struggled within the confines of being with someone where I needed to silence my own words, censor myself, to keep the peace in what I had not wanted to admit was a difficult relationship. One of the other things that I did for myself as I started to rebuild my own life from the shattered debris of my marriage was to begin a postgraduate research degree which focused on all things of Charles Dickens This was a rather daunting and challenging ambition for someone who had last graduated from university in the 1990s and had been out of the workforce for some years. I had to choose a topic for my thesis. I think given the failure of my own marriage, the topic of divorce was one that I felt drawn to, as if in somehow understanding it more, it would give me some sort of peace as I struggled to reconcile my sense of failure over my divorce against my conviction that it was absolutely right to bring my marriage to an end. My resulting thesis was entitled The Twisting of the Ring, and it explores Dickens' evolving views of marriage as can be seen in both his life and literature in the context of the push for divorce law reform during his lifetime as his own marriage fell apart. As it happens, Dickens, despite being the celebrated novelist of the hearth and home, the man of Christmas, family and good cheer around the fireside, well, he was not a particularly good husband towards the end of his marriage. In fact, it could be argued that he was calculating and cruel in the way that he treated his wife Catherine as his marriage fractured, abandoning her after 22 years of marriage and 10 children together so that he could pursue an affair with an attractive actress, a woman young enough to be his daughter. I'm going to come back to Dickens later in the series. For now, though, it is enough to say that Dickens left his wife and took up with a younger woman, but never divorced. Now, the reason for that is not just the damage a divorce would have done to his reputation, but because the law did not allow them to divorce. What it came down to is that someone had to be at fault in order to justify a divorce at that time. And of course, there was a sexual double standard at play there too. Catherine Dickens, even as a woman with an unfaithful husband, was unable to divorce him as her husband's adultery was not considered a grave enough fault for a woman to divorce a man. And as she was entirely faultless, Dickens was unable to divorce her. The fact that he was unhappy and his marriage was not enough to justify a divorce in 1858. We will come back to this concept of fault and the sexual double standard later in the series. 
What struck me as I undertook my research, though, was just how narrow divorce laws have historically been in England and how difficult, if not impossible, it was to get a divorce, especially for the wife. Now, over time, this has changed as divorce became not only more available, but also more socially acceptable. But this didn't happen in a vacuum. It happened because people advocated for change. And they advocated for change because they could see the injustice of being forced to remain in marriages that had become intolerable. As I read the stories of women such as Anne Dawson, Jane Campbell, Louisa Turton and Caroline Norton, all of whose stories I will touch upon in this series, I could only be grateful that their suffering, their activism, or even just their lived experience contributed to the accessibility of divorce laws in England. Because, in the end, the divorce laws that are in existence today have evolved because of women such as them. Their miserable marriages were played out for a public that responded with outrage and a demand for reform. I, and many others like me, have been able to extricate ourselves from dying marriages, separate from spouses who abuse, who cheat, who betray our love and destroy our trust. The law no longer requires us to stay shackled to the corpse of a marriage that has festered and decayed. It allows us freedom. Or, at least, it gives us the right to petition the court for that freedom. For as one woman discovered recently, the right to divorce was not as absolute as you might have expected in this day and age. Her name was Tinny Owens. She tried to get a divorce just a couple of years ago and she failed. In our rights-based modern culture, it is almost horrifying to discover that the law can require you to stay married to a man you despise if you do not meet the threshold requirements that the law sets out before you can be granted a divorce. Tinny Owen's marriage was splashed all over the pages of the press when her appeal against a decision to refuse her a divorce was dismissed. The Daily Mail headline summed it up rather nicely. Unfaithful wife, 68, forced to stay unhappily married to her old school husband, had tired of his booming voice and cruel barbs in case that has caused divorce law crisis. The crisis was that our society was stunned to discover that the court could, and did, refuse to grant a divorce to a woman who wanted one. And once more, it was one woman's lived experience Tinny Owen's marriage and failure to achieve a divorce that drove the demand for changes to current divorce law. Her story will bring an end to this podcast series. It was her marriage that paved the way for a no-blame culture of divorcing, making the process simpler and hopefully less fraught with painful emotions and feelings of regret. When we marry, we do so with love, with hope in our hearts, our future bright with optimism, certain in our future. As Dickens' character David Copperfield said on embarking on the path to the matrimonial altar, I suppose we had some notion that this was to end in marriage. But in our youthful ecstasy, I don't think that we really looked before us or behind us or had any aspiration beyond the ignorant present. And we know what happened to Dickens' marriage.
It is now estimated that approximately 42% of marriages will end in divorce, according to the report into divorces in England and Wales, prepared and released by the Office of National Statistics in September 2018. Divorce was my story, but it is also a story that affects us all. And so, I will end this episode here, but join me next time as I begin the sorry journeys, the tales of triumph over adversity, the stories of despair, and the epic sagas that are the legal battles that made the story of English divorce. In the next episode, I will be telling the sorry tale of the daughter of a Manchester merchant and her quest for a divorce in the mid-19th century. Until then, thank you for listening. And remember, you can follow the podcast series on Twitter at at Story of Divorce.